Jericho Road is a ministry of St. Luke's Episcopal Church. It's a Sunday school class that happens at 9.30 on Sunday mornings, and we welcome to join us. These days, we're studying Genesis as it leads into Exodus. It's a great sequel, and we hope to get you thinking about an old story in a new way. Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Jericho Road. Hey, we can go all the way back to the first two chapters of Genesis and see an important point. And that is, is that God is in the midst of his creation. God not only creates the world, but God is in the world. Uh, God not only creates the rocks and and the stars and the sky and the sea and humans and animals, but those acts of creation also reflect the glory of God. And so we see in the book of Exodus, the great sequel to Genesis, is that creation goes awry. The, the whole point of the plagues is that, is that creation itself rebels against the great injustice of enslavement of God's people by Pharaoh and the Egyptians. Uh, they may have the world's greatest superpower and the world's greatest technology and the world's uh, greatest ability to produce uh, grain to feed the world. Uh, they may have super cities and they may have sphinxes and they may have pyramids, but they aren't kind. They're cruel and and unfeeling, and it's wrong. And so creation itself rebels against them. That's the point of the plagues. And on the night before the final plague, which is the death of the firstborn of Egypt, God gives his people a liturgy. Liturgy. Uh, He gives them a liturgy. He, He gives them a special way to cook lamb and bitter herbs and flat bread, and he tells them to paint door on the, on the lintels and on the doorpost. And this is all in Exodus uh, chapter 12, and he gives them something that they can do again and again and again so that they could remember. So this lesson this morning is about liturgy and remembering. But the first thing I want to say about that before we, before we read a few verses of Exodus is that we too are liturgical people, whether we, whether we really know that word or not. A liturgy simply means an ordered service or an ordered form of worship that does a couple things. One, it covers all the bases. Our worship at St. Luke's is intended to cover the bases. You, you come to church and you, you say your prayers and you, and you pray for the world and you say you're sorry and you hear God's word and you hear a message and then you take communion. And when you leave, ideally, you've covered all of your bases for the week. You've filled the tank, if you will. You've got your Sunday morning inspiration and then you can go out in the world and live it. This is what good liturgy does. Liturgy also remembers that if God did something once, God will do it again. So the purpose of liturgy is to make sure uh, that you've, you've said the words you need to say and you've thought the words you need to think. And then you remember that if God did something once, yeah, God will do it for you. Which brings us to Exodus chapter 12 and the end of the liturgy. This is the night before uh, the death of the Egyptian firstborn. And God says this, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night And I will strike down every firstborn in the land of Egypt, both human beings and animals. On all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. When I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague shall destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. The word for blood in the Hebrew language is dam. And it's an important word. I guess, first of all, we need to ask the question, why blood? Why blood on the lentils? Why not red paint? Why not ash? Why blood? Well, as we've learned in the last few lessons is that Hebrew words mean more than one thing. There's just so few of them. 
And the word dom is an important word uh, because it also means life and it means livelihood. And if God is inextricably uh, connected with all of his creation, the rocks and the trees and the birds and the animals and the fish and the people, uh, if, if all creation reflects the glory of God, then, then God's life is, was in, is in this creation. And so blood also means life. The word Adam for the first human simply means dirt that was brought to life. You see how precious this life is. So here in this liturgy, God reveals that God will use his own creation to achieve redemption. He'll use his own creation to save them. More explicitly, more explicitly, a life will be shed so that they will be saved. Now, fast forward to Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Our words are Passover words. A life was shed to save us from bondage, from slavery. Sure, literal chains, maybe not, maybe so. But slavery to low expectations, slavery to depression, slavery to regret, slavery to doing wrong, slavery to not fulfilling your dreams, not being the people that God dreamed us of being. Jesus' blood covers our sins so that we can be saved. So that's the first lesson, right? Words are important. You know, I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you a, a little bit of a, a backstory on why we think words are so necessary and it's so necessary to get the words right. A couple years ago, my buddy Idan and I went down to a place called Qumran where the Dead Sea Scrolls were written. The Dead Sea Scrolls were, were a major sensation when they were found and found on the market in 1949 uh, by a little Bedouin boy. He was throwing rocks in a cave and found these, these scrolls encased in these vases. And since then, the Dead Sea Scrolls have been poured over. Lots of books have been written because they were written by a, a group of people who were, who were distancing themselves from the temple and they saw the world in terms of darkness and light. And they were children of light. There was some sort of weird stuff that they wrote down there. Uh, and because they wrote in this monastic community so far away from the temple, there was all this, all this talk about what could these scrolls really mean? Are they in, an encoded prediction of the end of the world? What mysteries uh, could we unlock? A lot, a lot has been said about the Dead Sea Scrolls that I don't think is necessary. First of all, uh, I think that there were lots of people going down to the Dead Sea and down to the Jordan River away from the temple because they wanted to get out, out into the desert air uh, where, where they could think about God in a better way, in a clearer way, uh, without the distractions of the temple. So while Idan and I were, were down at Qumran where the Dead Sea Scrolls were written, uh, we dropped a pen with our phone and we realized that the baptismal site of Jesus by John the Baptist was only nine miles away. Lots of people were headed down there. I think that for my money, uh, the best reason why we study the Dead Sea Scrolls and the Dead Sea Scrolls are exciting to us is that the, the Hebrew scriptures were recorded by people in the first century. And we can see now that the words read by Jesus are the same words that we previously had in our possession were fourth century manuscripts. Uh, what I'm trying to say is that the earliest Bible that we had was something from centuries after Jesus, but now we have a primary source document and we know Jesus knew this word, Dom. Jesus knew the, the story of the Exodus the way we know the story of the Exodus. He knew the story of Genesis the way we know the story of Genesis. He read the same words of the prophets that we read. And so words are important. And the word blood is an important word for us. 
our, our religion, our liturgy by its very nature involves the blood of Christ shed for us. That's the chalice of the wine. You know, there's something else I'll say about, about liturgy before we keep going, and that is we all know uh, that it's important to have rituals and routines. And part of the, part of the, hard, of the hardest part of this quarantine, I would say part of the, the hellish nature of it, has been that our liturgy has been taken from us. I, I watch us as we have Wednesday night suppers and people come through the line and they, and they cry because they miss the church. They, they miss sitting in their family pew. They miss kneeling. They miss, we all miss it. We, we miss looking at the sunlight through the window. We miss hearing the bells. We miss the sharp taste of port wine and, and, the, and the wafer in our trembling hands as we make the long walk. All these things are liturgy. But as they have been removed from us, I, I watch us and I watch us find new ways uh, to be there for each other. I, I, watch us, I, I, I watch us do noonday prayer on Facebook Live. Uh, astounding numbers of people watch it every day. We'll keep this going even when we come back in fully in our worship together. I watch Wednesday night suppers become a new sacrament. I, I, watch, us, I watch us finding new ways to have new liturgy with each other, new, new ways of, of a tactile experience of God. We are still covered by the blood of Jesus, and we're finding new ways to encounter him. In a sunrise, forgiveness, family, time away, time to rest, time to reflect, out in the clear air, perhaps, of this quarantine that has caused us to reflect on who we are and who God is. Old forms have been taken away from us, but this worship continues, and we're covered by the blood. But that's not the only word. No, there's another word, uh, and, it's, and it's called remembrance. So what God tells us people is that if they paint the lentils in the doorpost, that that blood will be a remembrance for them. That God, one, God will remember to save them that night. Okay, that's, it's a real-time thing. And then as they continue to remember the Passover and to mark the Passover with the liturgy, then, then God will also remember them again and again and again and again. Saved from slavery in Egypt, but saved uh, from, from any kind of bondage moving forward. This is what liturgy does. So there are two words that are important to learn this morning, and one is blood, and the second one is remembrance. Now, you're not looking at a picture of Egypt right here. You're looking at a picture of Corinth. And I want to fast forward uh, a, a, a thousand years or more uh, to, to Corinth and a man named St. Paul. St. Paul uh, traveled the whole world. He was a businessman. And around the year 51, he, he, he traveled to this place, Corinth. The backs of our Bibles have got all those little letters uh, that he wrote to them. These are, these are letters that he wrote to his friends. And not only did he have business to conduct in these cities, but he had the singular idea that they could make, make, be made different in Jesus Christ. And his idea was the gospel. The gospel is simply this. The gospel has three parts. Uh, one, we're saved by grace. Grace. We couldn't earn it on our own. That's the blood. That's the blood that covers us. The blood is grace. Uh, and, and we didn't earn it, and, and we just accept the gift. Two, we're saved in time, which means today, which means we're saved from slavery now. We don't have to wait till heaven when we die. And then three, if we live that way, it makes us family. That's it. So in this town that you see on this slide, uh, he came and he started a church. Now, I need to give you a little bit of a visual so that you can understand. Right now, Corinth looks like a beautiful field with ruins coming out of the grass, and it's awfully nice and pretty and quiet. It wasn't quiet in the first century. Imagine a village about the size of Crestline with 150,000 people in it. 
and it wasn't clean and it was loud and on every corner there was an altar now in the roman world they didn't have a concept of a weekend so what you would have is you would have a feast dedicated to your local shrine or your local god and then everybody would take off and eat and and drink wine and have a big time and they called them suppers so you're actually looking at the temple of apollo uh, in those columns there and what they would do they would have a big party and they would call it apollo's supper and it was saint Paul's genius is to take the world that these Romans lived in. He was a Roman person too and a Jewish person at the same time. He, he took the Roman forms and he repurposed them uh, with, with the Hebrew scriptures in mind. And so he called the love feast that they shared with each other, this agape meal where they had bread and they had wine and they remembered Jesus and the wine they believed somehow as they remembered it became the, the blood. And I'll say more about that kind of memory in just a minute. Uh, it was like a new supper. And so St. Paul called it the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper. St. Paul came up with that word, something that we use today in this city that you're looking at. It's the Lord's Supper. And this is what he writes about it. In the same way, he took the cup also. And after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This cup is my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Well, friends, when we come back to St. Luke's and I'm standing behind the altar and I'm looking at all your faces, I'm going to say those same words and we're going to remember that this cup is the blood that covers us all, the blood of grace, the blood of salvation, the blood of restoration. Uh, God will use his own creation, his own creation, his own body, his own child, his own essence of being, entering into his own world and giving a life to save us just like he did on that Passover night. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Now, if the Hebrew language is, is too sparse, the Greek language is highly nuanced and they've got lots of Greek words. And in the New Testament, which is written in Greek, they found a Greek word that says what the Hebrews tried to say with the poetry of Genesis. And it's simply this. This word is called anamnesis, anamnesis. And it sounds like a mouthful, but the idea is simple. It's a memory that is so thick that the past becomes present. It's a memory that makes something that happened a long time ago present right now. And when we remember what Jesus did, Jesus is suddenly in the midst of us, walking with us and talking with us and forgiving us and healing us and restoring us and setting us on a path we are covered by the blood now, not just then, not just a long time ago and far, far away. When I was a little boy growing up in the Baptist church, which I absolutely loved, I made a long walk on a youth rally on a Sunday night to go and accept Jesus as my personal savior and to be baptized. And it was a singular event and I remember it with, with all my heart. It was one of the most thrilling things I ever did was to make a long walk uh, down, down that aisle to, to meet my pastor and to receive the embrace of my spiritual leader and to give my life to Jesus. Well, here's something cool about St. Luke's and our own Anglican faith. You can make that long walk again and again and again and again and again and again and you can accept Jesus Christ as your personal savior again and again and again and you can receive the embrace of the church and of God in St. Luke's and it's called communion. It's called the Lord's Supper where we remember. Blood and memory, they're important to our faith. They were important then, they're important now. Now, 
I do want to, before I close this lesson, I do want to add uh, something that needs to be said. The final plague was the death of the Egyptian firstborn. That's pretty harsh. It's pretty rough. But I do have a footnote to this and say, if you read the plagues carefully, the nine prior plagues, they all involve the participation of Moses and Aaron. This one is on God alone. God took this one. God took this one. As, as, as horrible as that finality would be to free God's people from the land of Egypt, God took this one upon himself. And I also believe it reminds us that God is not to be mocked. God is sovereign. There are things we cannot fully understand. And God will not be rejected. We don't have to worry about that. Because we've got the blood. We've got the memory. And we too can go home. Thank you so much, friends. I look forward to having liturgy with you again very soon. Amen.